财富自由，富是父亲的富。两个中年爸爸闲聊美股、流行，另类育儿经。财富自由想象是百灵果跟古玩的结合。告诉你谁是 Magnificent Seven 科技七五四？你该买瘦瘦比双巨头吗？从马斯克到泰勒斯，从华尔街到好莱坞，我们都追得上。新的一年听新的 Podcast， 让我们一起财富自由。富是父亲的富哦。Hello, everybody. How are we doing? Welcome to Asian Dialect, a podcast show that tells you what's happening in Asia and what's happening in the world. I'm your host Ian Huang. Three thousand years ago, Jewish people were on the run to the Promised Land, and it took them a few decades. I think that's the prototype of immigration that everyone knows. Then, almost three thousand years later. A new term that has been widely seen on Chinese social media, "run," walks in as the new form of immigration. If you know Pinyin, you will know "run" is the direct pronunciation of the English word "run." A Chinese high school teacher traveled from China to South America, crossed the U.S. border through the Amazon jungle, then turned himself into the border patrol. It's not the only case, but one in thousands of Asian illegal migrants that has surged 15 times more than ever before. In 2022, there were 2,005 cases of China migrants reported, compared to 2010, which was only 268 cases, and it was an almost 10 times more surge. And just in the first quarter of this year, the reported amount has doubled. To three thousand eight hundred fifty-five. It's not about how they move out of China, but why. So in today's episode, we're going to talk about why Chinese are moving out of the country. And to understand the background story, let's look closer at the time when the pandemic hit the world. With the world being impacted by the virus, every place was shut down, and people started to practice quarantine. So did China, and after two years of intense virus control, they didn't loosen it but kept it going. Shanghai, the economic headquarters in China, was still under zero COVID control, and the people there started to realize maybe the government was not doing any good for them. The small businesses were closed for too long, and the economic activities were slowing down. But the most important part is, for the first time, they know what it felt like for Hong Konger. When their freedom was taken away. This was the white paper movement in China, the largest domestic protest after 1989 Beijing's Tiananmen Square protest. People holding up the blank papers and chanting such as "Lift the COVID restriction." No lockdown. We want freedom, and we want to live, not COVID tests. And last year, the word of run started to draw public attention on Douyin, the Chinese TikTok videos teaching the route to flee to the U.S. like a handbook. I think the topic of refugee has been the topic people talk about for so long, 
But one really draw my attention regarding this new trend of illegal Chinese migrants is how the plan started and being practiced this time. In the past, many Chinese people moved to the U.S. through investment or studying for college. But this time, these migrants from China are not the case. They are normal people with normal income who run not just for another options of living, but for survival. And in today's episode, we are honored to have Yu Zhengchen as our guest today. He has another name that is more commonly known, that is Chen Lao Shi Lai Le. Here comes Mr. Chen. He's a YouTuber with 360,000 subscribers, and he's now living in the U.S. The following interview was done in Chinese and translated and voiced over under the consent of Chen Lao Shi. If you like to watch or listen to Chinese interview. Please stay tuned. We'll upload the interview separately. Hello, everyone. My name is Teacher Chen. That's my stage name. I am from Anhui Province, China. In 2020, I was arrested by the Chinese authorities. Before that, in 2016, I went to Taiwan to study for a short period. After being arrested in 2020. I left China and fled to South Korea, then eventually made my way to the United States, where I am currently doing YouTube. My audience is mainly concentrated in Taiwan. Okay, I think many of the Taiwanese audiences already know you, but can you also tell our audience what made you decide to go to Taiwan in the first place? I used to watch a lot of Taiwanese dramas during my childhood, especially romantic ones. I found Taiwan intriguing because it seemed different from us. There were different scenes, characters, and language used in the dramas, and the accents were distinct, which fascinated me. Back then, I was unaware of the political differences, so I thought Taiwan was a great place to travel to. Later, I discovered that it wasn't so straightforward to visit Taiwan directly. As I delved deeper. I learned about the political differences. In high school, I started using a VPN to access information about Taiwan. That was when I realized that there were countries like China that were not as free as Taiwan, which is a democratic nation. Before that, I had no idea about these distinctions. I became even more curious about Taiwan and gradually fell in love with the place. During my college years, I decided to participate in an exchange program there, which worked out because I couldn't travel to or visit Taiwan freely from my hometown, Anqing, Anhui. In China, only residents of around 40 cities can travel to Taiwan independently, such as those from big cities like Beijing, Shanghai, Guangzhou, and some provincial capitals. This is a clever tactic. Because when these wealthy individuals visit Taiwan, the impression left on the Taiwanese people is that all Chinese are well off. But in reality, only the wealthy can travel to Taiwan. Wait, so do you mean that they pre-selected a group of people from within China who meet certain criteria to travel to Taiwan? Yes, exactly. Wow. Okay. In some of your previous interviews, you mentioned that you were once known as a little pink in China. Meaning you were quite patriotic and supportive of 
the Communist Party. My question here is, what happened that changed your view towards the Chinese Communist Party and China's overall politics? It began during my high school days when I started using a VPN to access information from outside China. I noticed significant differences between foreign news and Chinese news, but I couldn't determine which was the truth. Later, I came across historical events like the Tiananmen Square incident, which is highly sensitive in China, and I realized that such information couldn't be openly discussed in China; it would be censored right away. Gradually. I became more aware of why certain things couldn't be publicly discussed. I started using a VPN more to access real information, and slowly realized that the history I had learned and the place I lived in were not as genuine as I thought. My experience in Taiwan during my university years further deepened my understanding of the differences between China and Taiwan. When I returned to China and experienced some of the policies during the pandemic. I criticized the Chinese government, including their inhumane epidemic control measures, openly on the internet. After being arrested, I couldn't possibly identify with them anymore. So it was a long process, starting with the differences in information I discovered, coupled with my personal experience and persecution by the Chinese government, that awakened me and changed my perspective. I see. Okay. In your introduction, you mentioned that you were briefly in prison. Can you tell us why the police arrested you and what happened during that time? I was arrested during the pandemic when everything came to a halt, and I was stuck at home with nothing to do. Naturally, I turned to the internet to keep myself engaged, and I came across many oppressive epidemic control policies and inhumane news. This led to a lot of frustration, and I began expressing my opinions on the internet because. At that time, it was the only way I could interact and share my thoughts. I criticized the Chinese government's policies, especially concerning the pandemic. Besides that, I was using a VPN regularly during the pandemic, and taught my friends how to use it as well. Later on, for reasons I still don't know, they found out about my activities and targeted me. One morning in June 2020. A group of over ten police officers came to my house and arrested me. They searched my phone and questioned me about any connections with foreign forces and my entire experience of studying in Taiwan, including details about my family background and education. They also found records of my conversations discussing sensitive news and urging others to use a VPN, which, when combined, led to my eventual arrest. They didn't intend to detain me for only one day. I believe they would have kept me longer, but fortunately, I had a fever at that time. China's extreme zero COVID policy was in effect, and the detention center refused to take me because of my fever. They said they couldn't accept people with a fever, so the police said, "Since you are a university student, we can grant you bail." They called it "released on bail pending trial." But the case wasn't over. They told me I was still under investigation, but could stay at home. Of course, I was not confined to my home and could go out, but with certain restrictions. I couldn't leave the country-level city I was in, and needed approval to travel elsewhere. So I was released on bail and could only move within my local area, which is Sanya, 
where I attended university. Later, I was called back nearly 10 times for questioning, and they would call me to do interviews and make statements. It seems like a lengthy process. Is there any resolution to this situation now, or is it on hold for now? When they initially came to my home, they caused quite a stir, even though they didn't take any of my family members away. They investigated our family for a week, and the whole village became aware of it, as if I had committed some grave offense. This caused a lot of trouble for my family, with neighbors and even distant relatives getting involved. They asked the same questions repeatedly, inquiring about my upbringing, family background, education, and my experience of studying in Taiwan, along with various details about my daily life at home. It was very detailed, and they recorded everything to understand who I am and why I had become this traitor in their eyes. But in reality, I hadn't betrayed my country. I still love my country. I just hope for a better China. So I criticized certain policies and issues. It's indeed very challenging because you still love your country, but you may not agree with the political system and how things are being run. And you're just providing an alternative perspective, but that happens to be something that's not allowed in the space. As you mentioned earlier, they came to your home and caused trouble for your family and other relatives. How do your family respond to this situation? Do they support you? They didn't support or oppose me because they are not very politically aware. Our family is just an ordinary farming family in China, and ordinary people there usually have little understanding of politics. Unlike in Taiwan, where many ordinary people are politically aware, it's not the same in my family. So there was no question of support or opposition. They didn't really understand the political implications. The police pressured my family, hoping that through them, I would return to China. But I explained to my family that it wasn't safe for me to go back. So they tried to contact me to ask me to return. But for security reasons and the current situation in China, I don't see it as a possibility. If they were to assure me that I wouldn't be arrested and that the situation wasn't severe, I might consider returning. But for now, it's not safe. I did tell my family that I would like to go back, but safety is the priority, and it's not possible for me to return at the moment. Maybe in the future, who knows, I might not even want to return. That's a possibility. Okay. I think earlier you mentioned an experience that many people are curious about which is your journey from China to South Korea and ultimately to the United States. Could you briefly describe how you left China and arrived in the United States? Because in this episode, we want to discuss the experiences of Chinese people who leave their country, whether to other countries or further away. My departure from China went relatively smoothly. Although I had some issues, I still found it relatively smooth. Many people might think that I had connections or a wealthy family, but that's not the case. As I mentioned earlier, my family was very poor and our house was very simple, just a small place with metal sheets. So my family background wasn't particularly good. However, I was able to leave smoothly because of my passion for travel. During my university days, I started saving money to travel around the world, which was my dream. 
In my university years, I traveled extensively in Southeast Asia and visited many countries in an economical and budget-friendly way, backpacking and exploring different places. This travel experience made it easier for me to travel to the United States, as I had a rich travel history and it significantly reduced any suspicions of immigration intentions. When you have visited many countries and your passport is filled with various stamps, it becomes much easier to obtain a visa, especially for travel purposes. The immigration officers can see that you are genuinely interested in traveling and not looking to immigrate permanently. So, when you came to the United States, what was your status initially? Initially, I came on a tourist visa. My tourist visa eventually expired, and that's when I applied for political asylum. I considered various immigration options, including political asylum and other visa categories, like talent-based immigration, for example, H-1B. Some people may think that applying for political asylum is easy if you have news reports or some specific reason, but it's not that simple. It's a very challenging and lengthy process. Some cases may take up to 10 years to process due to the high number of immigration cases, including asylum applications. Okay, that's very detailed. Thank you. I think your earlier response also touched upon some of the questions people had. Now, I'm curious about when you decided that you couldn't stay in China anymore and realized that you needed to leave. Can you briefly describe your journey, including why you needed to go to South Korea before finally coming to the United States? Going to South Korea was my only option at that time. In 2020, due to the global pandemic, Many countries, including China, suspended their travel and visa services. For example, student visas were not being granted, making it impossible for me to go to other countries. Some people might wonder why I didn't directly apply for a U.S. visa. The reality was that the U.S. consulates in China had been closed for three years. So going to the U.S. was not an option for me. I explored other countries, like Japan, but many countries had closed borders, and their embassies were also closed. Only South Korea was open and allowed me to apply for a visa. Additionally, I knew Korean, so it was a reasonable choice for me. I applied for a student visa to study at Hanyang University in South Korea. However, due to some circumstances, I had to leave South Korea as well, and that's when I had to find another country to go to. I see. So you were basically left with no choice. Okay. And this time, there's a large wave of people leaving China, including many who follow a similar path as the so-called running the line route Zhouxian, taking the same paths as illegal immigrants from Latin America. Many people are leaving China, and it seems like everyone is choosing to leave. What are your observations or insights on this phenomenon? I believe this large wave of people leaving China is primarily a result of the extremely foolish and absurd epidemic prevention policies implemented over the years. These policies have caused severe damage to China's economy. Even though the official numbers might show some growth, the overall situation is a one-step-forward, two-steps-back scenario. Moreover, the brutal epidemic prevention measures and lack of humanity have driven people to seek better lives elsewhere. Many private enterprises have closed down, 
And there has been an exodus of foreign businesses due to China's isolationist policies. As a result, many ordinary citizens feel they have no hope and are forced to seek alternatives like emigrating.、Mm-hmm. That makes sense. I think what you said earlier about some people thinking it's worth it due to the pursuit of universal values like freedom and democracy, while others might have different perspective, is very accurate. Everyone's considerations and values are different. Is there anything else that you would like to share about your experience or any future plan that you have? As for the future, I think I may choose to live in Taiwan, and as an inappropriate metaphor. If China were to open up to democracy one day, it would be like the sun rising from the west. In that case, I would consider returning to China to live, because of my emotional attachment. Thank you, Chen 老师 I think it's never an easy decision to make, and just from what we heard about Chen 老师 and his journey to the states. We can already know behind the decision; it was very difficult. As Title Forty Two, which allows the Border Patrol to deny the right to seek asylum, ended in May twenty twenty three, a bunch of migrants influxed into the border and reached to the very land of America. And there began their new challenges of living in a foreign country. Aside from the obstacles Chinese migrants would face after they arrived in the United States. The Chinese who are thinking about getting out are also facing an intensified political situation between the U.S. and China, which is hard for foreigners to get into China now, but even harder for the Chinese to get out. The bilateral cooperation seems to get to the flashpoint. The Chinese government has been using the excuse of virus control to reduce the issuing of passports and visas. According to the official data from China National Immigration Administration, the Chinese government has only issued 330,000 passports in the first half of 2021, which is approximately 2% compared to the same period two years ago. Tell me what you think about these Chinese asylums. Do you think the U.S. should be more involved and engaged with them after they risked their life saving and got out of China? If you like our podcast, please leave a five-star review. That will help us grow tremendously. Or if you have any topic you would like to know about, you can also write us an email at asiandialect@gmail.com. At asiandialect@gmail.com. Follow Asian Dialect wherever you get your podcast. Asian Dialect is produced and edited by Ian Huang. Talk to you soon.